This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith courts one into right down the line. It may go. You're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. Hello there. Welcome on in. April 23rd edition of the program. My name is Brett McMillan. So glad that you could come alongside us here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Whether it's your first time listening or whether you're with us every week, really appreciate you tuning on in for our discussion today with Woody Williams. This is part of a Flashback Friday event. If you're unfamiliar with that, every Friday home game this season, the Cardinals Museum hosts an alumni, and he comes in and sits in the Sportsman's Park Theater. It's an intimate uh, gathering of, of folks, and you get to listen to Brian Finch, who is the manager of Stadium Tours and uh, also Museum Operations, interview this alumni. They talk about the alumni's time playing in St. Louis, uh, just a little baseball theory, great stories uh, about the time that they spent here as a Cardinal. So if you are a baseball history person, this is right up your alley. Even if you're just a fan of the game and history is not so much your thing, I mean, you're going to get to hear how a ball player thinks about the game in these discussions. So they do it every Friday. You can check out the full list of this year's participants by heading to cardinals.com slash museum. Again, it's every Friday home game. There is an alumni at the Cardinals Museum. And here's the thing. You just pay to get into the museum, and then getting to listen to the alumni and sit in on this event comes with that. So the only thing you're paying for is to get into the museum. It's an awesome museum. They're rotating out the the exhibits in there. So if you've been before, that doesn't mean that you've seen everything. There are new items that they put in and, and new installations. There's a rotating exhibit this particular year, it is about the history of baseball equipment sponsored by Rawlings. It's really neat. I mean, they've got some original baseball gear from way back in the day, over 100 years ago. And they've got stuff all the way up to the modern day uh, equipment, too. So well worth your time to go over to the museum. And we're going to be bringing you some of these discussions as part of the Cardinals Insider Podcast and maybe even some bonus episodes as well uh, throughout the course of the 2019 baseball season. So Woody Williams, you probably remember that he pitched for the Cardinals in the mid-2000s, but 15 seasons in the big leagues overall. He's going to talk with Brian about how he really didn't know if he'd ever be a big leaguer, and it's amazing the things that lined up just right for him to even become a big league baseball player. He talks about his love for the Cardinals, even though before he was traded here, he really didn't know anything about St. Louis or about the franchise, but he's definitely a Cardinal through and through now. Pitched parts of just four seasons of the 15 that he played in the majors here with St. Louis from 2001 to 2004, including those National League champions in 2004. Brian and Woody talk about that as well during this conversation. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy it. It's Brian Finch from the Cardinals Museum talking things over with Woody Williams, Cardinals alumni, here as part of a Flashback Friday check-in 
on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. I'm excited today because we have a former Cardinals player here. And uh, not just a former Cardinals player, but a 2003 National League All-Star, a member of our 2004 National League Championship team, and of course, fan favorite. How about a warm round of applause for Woody Williams? Thanks for wearing red today. Yeah, fits. <laughs> Guess I'm in blue, though, but it's okay. That's right. That's right. So, welcome to the Cardinals Museum, Woody. Uh, I'm excited to uh, have you here. We've gotten to know each other a little bit over the past couple of years with our Cardinals fantasy camps. And um, I won't tell you about our, our personal experience. This past year I had a great play against Woody in the outfield. But, uh, <laughs> but, it, but, but it was a great, great time. Great experience for me. Um, so, as we get started, uh, I always like to talk with our players and, and find out about the very beginning. Before you were a Cardinal, take us back to where it all began. Where did the love of baseball in your life begin? And uh, who was that person that was instrumental for you that, that helped teach you the game? Well, it, went, it goes way, way back from ever, ever since I can remember. But my dad was the, the one that was always spending time with me out in the yard. You know, the neighborhood kids. Any chance we got, we were always outside, as most of you were growing up as well, and, and that was the important thing. That's where you really learned a lot about who you were and, and what your ability was at anything you were doing. But my dad, I remember, he would come home from work, take his suit off, put some shorts on, and he'd get out there and catch me as long as I wanted to throw. Obviously, growing up, uh, finding this love for the game, when did you recognize that you had a shot um, – at not just playing competitive baseball, but making it to the big leagues? I think my story is a little bit unique in that sense that I really never knew until the day I got there. I just always wanted to keep the uniform on until someone told me I had to take it off. It didn't matter what level, what league. It was always just play as long as I could, as hard as I could. There was never, I was not a high round draft pick, so uh, there was never scouts coming out just to see me play. And, and I, I was actually seen by chance because there was, uh, when I was at the University of Houston, uh, we were playing Baylor. Pat Combs was a big high profile left-handed pitcher. And I happened to pitch against him that day and pitched well. And I think that was the first and only time I was seen by the Blue Jay scout. And that, that kind of set the tone for my opportunity in pro ball. You were drafted by the Blue Jays in 1988, and you made your big league debut in 1993. How did you find out you were going to the major leagues? Well, the Blue Jays back then, 92 and 93, they won the World Series. So as you can imagine, the minor league system was very, very stacked. I made three all-star teams in five years in the minor leagues. I remember sitting on the training table and kind of just frustrated, you know, poor pitiful me. And, you know, I told the trainer, I said, i got to get out of here. And he said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I just need a, a change of scenery. Well, I, I got out of the training room and was walking down the hallway, and Bill Buckner came up to me. He was our roving hitting coach at the time and said, hey, i got uh, something to tell you. I said, yeah, what is it? He goes, I'm not supposed to tell you. Your manager's supposed to tell you after the game, but I want to be the one telling you you're going to the major leagues after the game. And, you know, it's before cell phones, before anything else, before I had one for sure. But, uh, you know, so I had to sit there in the bullpen the whole game, not telling anyone and just pondering, you know, the next step, what was going to happen. So it was uh, 
pretty unique experience and one I'll never forget. Obviously, uh, we've had a few different pitchers come from the Blue Jays system, and uh, I assume they were teammates of yours. The, the two that come to mind for me, Pat Hintgen and, of course, Chris Carpenter. Uh, any experiences that you had in the Blue Jays system with these two, and, of course, uh, you know, being involved with the Cardinals, whether as teammates or, you know, uh, alumni now? Well, Pat and I got the chance to play together for 11 years in the minor leagues and the major leagues in Toronto. Uh, and when we drafted Chris Carpenter, you know, obviously he had a phenomenal arm. He threw a lot harder then than what you can remember uh, on a, you know, a, an ongoing basis. But he was a different kind of kid. You know, he was very raw. But, you know, I had a chance to spend a couple spring trainings with him after being tutored by, like, Dave Stewart, those guys in, in Toronto that helped me. Uh, Paul Molitor helped me as far as learning how to be a professional, how to act, what to do, what the game is really all about. So I was able to pass a little bit of that on to Chris. But, you know, as you know, when he got between the lines, that, that smile turned into a, a growl, and, and he was something else. <laughs> I think he's been referenced here locally as a bulldog. <laughs> well, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the public name maybe from Tony La Russa. But right. Yeah, but we sure love Chris Carpenter here. So. Uh, you played several years in Toronto, of course, with the American League uh, or on the American League side. Then your career took you to San Diego. Uh, but in 2001, you were traded to St. Louis uh, for one of our fan favorites for Ray Lankford and, of course, recent Cardinal inductee uh, for our Hall of Fame. What do you recall about receiving news of that trade? Uh, first of all, you know, for coming coming to St. Louis for Ray Lankford. In San Diego, I was part of the, not the rebuild, but the untooling of the 1998 World Series team that the uh, Yankees beat in San Diego. So they got rid of all their high-profile players, brought guys like myself in. And I, I kind of got a re good relationship going with Kevin Towers, uh, the GM there. And it came time where it was our turn to go. So they traded Sterling Hitchcock to the Yankees, and I knew, you know, my salary it just didn't fit where the Padres were at the time. So he made he he gave me the opportunity to make a list of the teams I wanted to play for, and he was going to start at number one and go down and see if there's any way we could work out a trade. So you know, I w I was surprised that it was the Cardinals because I don't even know if they were on the list because I didn't know anything about them, nothing. But I tell you what. From the first time I put that uniform on, it, there was nothing like I've ever felt in baseball before. Once you got here, obviously a neat statement there, but did you ever feel any um, repercussions having been traded for Langford? Because clearly, you know, once he left, there were, there were fans that had a lot of feelings for Ray. And we saw that, you know, recently here. Uh, with his Cardinals Hall of Fame induction, but did you ever see the other side of that? Or, uh, <laughs> and I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but but it was definitely an interesting trade. You know, uh, we get a picture in you that you know pretty quickly we understand. Hey, this is a guy that's going to help us for a playoff push. But you know, at first blush, it was like, wait a second, here's here's the guy that for more than a decade had been you know really the <laughs> the star for. Uh, this those early 2000 teams we hadn't seen yet you know and and 2001 would be that first team to make a big playoff push the 2000 team was an outstanding team too but 
you know, getting rid of Ray Langford for a lot of people, you know, in Cardinals Nation was almost sacrilege. Right. All I remember is the first day I was here, there were, across from the clubhouse at the old stadium, there was a room maybe half the size. There was a desk. I sat behind the desk, and, and I was answering questions from the media. The only question that I remember answering or being asked that day was, can you tell us what, what you're, one, what you're doing here, and, and two, where do you fit in? We already have five starters. And I didn't even know what to say. All I could say is, you know what, I'm here because they traded for me, and I don't know where I fit in, but I'm going to try to do my best to fit in. But, you know, now knowing Ray, knowing the passion the fans have for him, I'm, I'm very thankful it went as good as it did for me because it wouldn't have been pretty if I didn't. <laughs> Well, and we'll talk about 2004 in a little bit, but in a nice twist of fate, Ray would come back and you would be teammates in 2004 as part of a National League Championship team. So it all worked out all right. Hope you're enjoying hearing from Woody Williams here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Want to pause real quick and let you know that on Friday, April 26th, the Cardinals host the Reds and back by popular demand that night, 30,000 fans age 16 and older will take home the Yachty Tumbler courtesy of Apple Vacations. Get your tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. All right, back to the conversation. It's Brian Finch with Cardinals alumni Woody Williams. What was it like um, coming to St. Louis and playing under Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan? It was an experience that uh, my career needed. Tony was a no-nonsense, you know, X's and O's. Very, very prepared. He had his coaches prepared. And as a player, that's the kind of player I had to be because I had to try to think one step ahead. I had to know the hitters. I had to, to be right on point because my stuff wasn't overpowering. And uh, I very much appreciated playing for him. You know, coming from Bruce Bochy, who was very relaxed, but at the same time, phenomenal manager, just two different styles. And, uh, you know, obviously Tony's already in the Hall of Fame and Bruce is on his way. Uh, Dave Duncan is the ultimate preparer. He, he could take anyone and give you a game plan. He had uh, stacks and stacks of uh, stats, pitches thrown, what counts, what part of the strike zone. And he did a very good job of preparing us and, and getting us ready to pitch. You mentioned about putting the jersey on for the first time here in St. Louis. How did the fans here in St. Louis and the atmosphere compare to other places that you had pitched? You guys are amazing. I'm just going to tell you, the thing I appreciated, not so much for me, but just for an opposing team, is when a great play was made or a guy pitched a great game, you appreciate that. You appreciate good baseball. And, you know, the first time I pitched, uh, I pitched against the Marlins. And there were several guys that I struggled with. I listened to Dave Duncan. I went out there, and, and the guy was 0 for 3. Had good success. I remember walking off the field to a standing ovation, and it was right then and there I knew where I was right where I wanted to be and needed to be. So in 2001, uh, you came over with the trade. Uh, we were just talking about this a little bit, you know, before coming in here. You had gone eight and eight to that point in the season with the Padres. You finished the 2001 season with the Cardinals going seven and one in 11 games with a 2.28 earned run average. And it really pushed the Cardinals um, to that National League Central title. And we do say National League Central title, 
the team finished uh, in a dead tie with Houston. I know that's a point of contention with the Astros, but we are formally um, declared co-champions according to our uh, the certificate that we've received from Major League Baseball. And then we played as the wild card slot in the playoffs. I always say this as the museum guy, the history guy. We played as the wild card slot because there wasn't enough time um, in the schedule based upon the terrorist attacks that year in 2001. So Major League Baseball didn't have a formal tiebreaker because the season had been uh, delayed and postponed due to the, the terrorist attacks in 2001. So, um, But anyway... It, because of your performance that really pushed the Cardinals ahead, you know, in the standings. And then uh, you're also named the national league September pitcher of the month. So you'd been a 500 pitcher, you get traded to St. Louis. You talk about the preparation of Dave Duncan playing for Tony Russa, the fans. Was it those elements or what ultimately clicked for you to go seven and one in the final 11 games of the season, you know, that you come to St. Louis and pitch here? Well, let me go back to the, the being tied with the Astros. When I went to sign with the Astros at the end, Lance Berkman, that's the first thing he said, we won the division, y'all didn't. <laughs> you know, so he, and he made, it, he made it real clear that they were the winners. But as far as what made it click for me is the preparation and uh, knowing how to pitch to each hitter because my strength was location. As you, if you look at my stats, I gave up a heck of a lot of home runs. And... My job was just to keep the ball in the ballpark. Had Edmonds in center, Vigne hit second, Renteria short, Matheny catching. That's, that's pretty good gold, gold glove caliber players right there. And uh, it was really nice, and it was just a good fit. You know, I was able to do that, and they were making plays behind me left and right, and it just uh, worked out well. Clearly, 2001 was a great season for Cardinals fans, um, getting to the playoffs and, and making a little bit of noise there. 2002, we came into the season with great expectations, um, but it ended up being a season with a lot of ups and downs, You know, ultimately ended with a playoff push. But uh, I'll just serve it up to you. What are your memories of that 2002 season, and how do you look back on that 2002 season? Uh, you know, a couple things stick out. It's Jack Buck, you know, passed away, then – few days later, Daryl Kyle passed away. So it went from high expectations to, you know, tragedy to a union like no other where we just came together and were able to push through and persevere and really relied on each other on and off the field because it, it's, it's terrible if you lose a good friend. And, and, and Daryl was not just a ball player. He was the most unselfish player I've ever played with, you know, your success mattered more to him than his success. And it was, it was very, uh, I guess, heartwarming for me to play with somebody like that because people like that, you know, only make believe most of the time. But he was, he was solid. And, and, you know, I think it was because of who he was and the way he did things which allowed us to come together and, and, and finish strong the way we did. You had one of your finest seasons in 2003. You went 18-9 and nine with a 3.87 ERA uh, and threw 220.2 innings. If I have my stats correctly, that was the most innings you had thrown in any single season in your entire career, and you were named a National League All-Star. Uh, what was it about 2003? Did you have something to prove that year, 
or um, did everything just come together? Of course, you had Scott Rowland now at third base as well. You talked about the defense earlier with the team around you. But what was it about 2003 where it all came together for you? I think I just got off to a hot start right out of the get-go. You know, I'm never a good spring training pitcher, and if I had to make a, a team in spring training, I'd be in trouble. You know, it, it's, you know, you have the guys that come and sign minor league deals and then uh, get put on the roster at the end of spring training. That would have never worked for me because I would always get beat around pretty good. But for, for whatever reason, uh, from the first, first start to, I guess, the, almost the first month, you know, I, I don't know if I gave up very many runs and, and the team was able to score and play good defense. And, you know, what I do remember is getting in the high 20s out of the, out of the gate with no earned runs. So it was uh, the hot start and then uh, just carried on. I failed to talk about something with the 2001. I want to make sure we hit on this because it was pretty fascinating. Um, in September of 2001, you may have had one of the, the most unique games of your entire career, September 5th against San Diego of all teams, you know, a team that you'd spent a few years with. Uh, September 5th, 2001, you had a game where you took a perfect game into the seventh inning. And uh, as we had very briefly discussed this, because I was curious to know, what did what do you remember about September 5th, 2001? And you gave up a single in the bottom of the seventh, but then that base runner was erased on a double play. You gave up a second hit in the bottom of the ninth um, as you can you completed the uh, or finished the complete game, but that base runner was erased also on a double play. You're one of the the few pitchers in Major League history to have had a complete game where you've only faced the minimum 27 batters. What do you remember about that game? I mean, was it just the night where you were in the zone and you put it all together? Um, or you had great defense? I mean, what was it for you about um, that night in 2001? I just don't think the Padres are very good. <laughs> <laughs> what I do remember about that series, I'll tell you this, is that uh, it was Bud Smith, Matt Morris, and I believe I pitched the third game of the series. And we gave up five hits in three games, and all of us threw complete game shutouts. And Bud Smith threw his no-hitter then. So, you know, it was a combination of we're hitting a team at the right time, but yet you're having a little bit good fortune. You know, that was the one and only night I ever faced Tony Gwynn, who was a teammate of mine who, you know, I have, you know, great memories of being his teammate. And uh, he flew out to the wall, just foul. So uh, it was it was very close, but you know it was it was a, it was a great night, great experience, and a, and a great series for us. Yeah, I know I got a little off our chronology, but I had to ask about that, and that's fantastic. You know, three games, five hits, and really two games, five hits. You know, with with Bud Smith um, with a no hitter. I gave Matt Morris a hard time for giving up three hits too. <laughs> We pause the discussion with Woody Williams real quick to let you know that on Sunday, April 28th, the Cardinals host the Reds. And that day, all kids, 15 and under, entering with the ticket will take home their own blue Cardinals jersey featuring Yadier Molina's number four. Get your tickets at cardinals.com slash promotions. Yadi broke into the big leagues in 2004. Woody Williams' last season pitching with the Cardinals was in 2004. Teammates for that one year. Let's get back to the discussion with Woody Williams here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Let's talk about the 2004 team. Uh, 
in St. Louis, we'd seen glimpses of this team, you know, whether it was some of the players coming together or, or some of these uh, teams in 2001 and 2002, but it all came together in 2004. And really that 2004 team, as I recall, uh, really we didn't get off to a hot start. It, it took till about uh, June before the team hit their stride, but then it was just like we played on fire. Um, and then a few late season acquisitions really, you know, cemented that, that, that crew to come together. Uh, what do you remember about the 2004 club and what made that group of players so special? Well, I think uh, that that team was the best team I ever played on. I mean, it was loaded, as you know. I think we won 104, 105 games or something. And uh, But like you said, we got off to a slow start. And I remember, you know, Tony never liked the players having a players-only meeting. I remember going to him and saying, we're going to have a players only meeting and I know you don't like it, but we need to do this. So it was just a chance for all of us to say how we felt, what was going on, what we needed to do, how we needed to approach things and uh, really just clear the air because it, it was so talented. I mean, everybody, I don't remember how many all-stars were on that team, but in gold gloves and there was just no reason for us not to win, not to play well. You know, and, and as I look back, you know, Chris Carpenter getting hurt, not being able to pitch really, really hurt that team. It, it kind of made us all bump up in the rotation instead of keeping us on our on our spot and having the bulldog, as Tony called him, leading the way. Obviously, we all remember how things finished. Um, but let's not forget the playoff run in 2004. And you were really the the table setter in both series, the Dodgers series and the National League Division series. Um, and then, of course, the Astros and the NLCS. Uh, you started both of those series, game one, and started both of those series with wins. And both of those teams, I know we've got some Dodgers fans here, so. All right. But uh, those were those were key wins. Do you have any memories about um, being the, the guy that, you know, the, the pitcher that the teams called upon to set the tone, especially when that 2004 club really had run away with the division. We could have set up the pitching rotation any way we wanted to get into the, the playoffs. And Tony and, and Dave Duncan wanted you, Woody Williams, to be our pitcher to get out there as, as, as the first dog in the fight, so to speak, as our starting pitcher. What did that mean to you to be, you know, the guy to take the mound, to take the hill as the number one starter, so to speak. Um, and then what do you remember about those starts in game one against the Dodgers? We'll start there. Well, obviously it's a great honor. Any any chance, anytime you get an opportunity to pitch in the postseason, but to be called on and, and relied on to, to start game one and, and have the opportunity to put the team right where it needs to be and, and head, in, head in the series is, is very important and something I'll never forget. You know, to have the opportunity to pitch four postseason games in one season. Uh, you know, the, the regular season is one thing, but when you get to the postseason, all stats are out the door. Most most of the egos are out the door, and it's just the grass smells different, the crowd sa sounds different, and it, it's the reason you play. And to have the opportunity, it's, it's very, very special to me for sure. So we get past the Dodgers in the National League Division Series, 
And now we're up against the Astros. The Astros were a force to be reckoned with. Um, tell us about some of your memories with starting game one against the Astros and just about that series in general. Well, I know that. And, and you're, a, you're a Texas boy, right? Right, from yeah. Houston. From Houston, yeah. okay, okay. So, you know, what I do remember, it was two pretty equal teams as far as the way they played the game. You know, the Cubs not so much at that time. You know, they've, they've I guess, kind of played a different style of ball now where there's a little bit more uh, mutual respect for the, for the way they go about it. But with Houston, it was, it was just two big dogs going at it and, and going at it the right way. Um, I don't recall a whole lot from game one, but game five in Houston is, is one that I really, really remember more than any, any game I've pitched in the postseason. And that's just because of the, the way it, it went down. It, I, I pitched well. Brandon Backey pitched well. Edmonds made diving catch out in center field. Carlos Beltran made a diving catch for them. And then uh, Jeff Kent ended up hitting, a, I believe, a walk-off home run in the ninth inning. But, you know, that series, and especially the way it ended with Edmonds' home run, it was uh, just pressure-packed the whole way. And that's the way baseball is meant to be played. So we came back down three games to two, had to win two games at home. Um, of course, of course, Edmonds home run in Game Six and in extra innings. Where were you when Edmonds hit the walk off home run in Game Six to force Game Seven? I, I was in the bullpen. I was in the bullpen uh, warming up. I don't remember if it was to come into the game. You know, it, everything was just a fog then because it just unexpected. And here we go. Next thing you know, we're, we're celebrating and thinking about tomorrow. Sounds good. So. How fast did you get to home plate after Edmonds hit that home run? What? Not as fast as those relievers, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You know, you, if something happens on the field, you see him running in there in case of a, a bench-clearing brawl or something. Those guys get there pretty quick, and they left me way in the dust. So, so I've got to ask, um, the 2004 World Series, the team, you know, wins this dramatic um, – you know, series against the Astros and go to Boston. I, I don't want to say what happened, but. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what, what, what happened? Uh, you know. You know, it was, it was kind of, it, it was their turn. But at the same time, if we would have had another day, a, a hotel that was in the city and not 30 miles outside of the city, because you know, what you're used to or accustomed to, everything had changed. You know, I believe uh, we celebrated beating the Astros. We flew out the next morning. And, and I want to say we went straight to Fenway Park to practice. So it wasn't get into the hotel, relax, go practice, come back. But just to get to and from the hotel took 45 minutes or an hour. So it was, it was way out there. But... Uh, you know, as poorly as I pitched in game one, things didn't go well for Matt Morris in game two. Those still are two games that we still could have won. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't pitch the way we needed to pitch. And my outing was very, very quick. But Dan Heron came in and, and kept the team in the game. Mm -hmm. But, you know, games threes and four were, were a little bit different too. I think Jeff Supon got, you know, they got confused with uh, Akendo at third base as far as go or stay or – or go or no, and if I'm not mistaken, that was the uh, quote 
butt lock, as, as Supon called it, where he froze at third, you know, going home or whatnot. And, and really, game one was a back-and-forth affair. There were, you know, times in game one at Fenway Park where, you know, we had an opportunity to take that game, and it just slipped away on more than one occasion. Right. One one good pitch or one yeah. big pitch or one big hit, and it could have been a whole lot of different, you know, different outcome there. Yeah. But it really is unfortunate it was – the way the 2004 season ended in the World Series, um, as you mentioned earlier, it was really one of the best teams in Cardinals history. And I get asked that question a lot here at the museum. What are the best teams? Or what, what was the best team that just didn't quite get over the hump at the end? And it always comes down to 2004 or 1968. And, you know, it's too bad we don't have a time machine where we couldn't put those two teams against one another and Right. you know have one final grudge match right. <laughs> you know or or go back and play 2004 one more time and get those red Sox out and you know that, you that know. would be nice yeah but you know it, it was uh like i said it was a great season best team i'd ever played on and if you go back and look at the roster you'll see why and those those guys are either in the cardinals hall of fame mm-hmm. on their way to cooperstown it's it's pretty incredible yeah you would go on to pitch a few more seasons um, after 2004 for San Diego and Houston, and coincidentally, your final your final big league game or appearance came against the Cardinals in 2007. Um, looking back, you know, put put the bow on the box of your big league career. How do you feel about the ride you had, the journey you had, and uh, where do the Cardinals fit within that? Looking back, I still can't believe that I'm pitched almost 15 years in the big leagues. I mean, you look at me, I'm not what a pitcher looks like, especially today. Uh, but I do know the hard work I put in. I do know the effort I put in. You know, and, and I got an opportunity, and it, it worked out. But, you know, to look back, I'm very, very thankful and blessed to, to one, be a, a baseball player, but, you know, to play as long as I did. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of players bounce around. You know, I know some some guys play eight or ten teams. Every now and then, you have a guy that, like Molina right now, that's playing the same organization. But I just wish I would have got to St. Louis sooner. You know, this this is who I feel I am. Even though it was a little over three years, uh, I was welcomed. The fans were incredible. You guys, uh, very intelligent baseball fans, and appreciate what you see and. Uh, it was because of people like yourselves that made it special for me. And I appreciate that. So what are you up to now? What keeps you busy? Well, we have five kids ranging from uh, almost 16 to 29, or, you know, 30, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, I'm coaching at junior college in Houston, San Jacinto Junior College. And I actually had the opportunity to coach two of Mike Matheny's kids last year. So it was nice. Uh, but I, this is my fourth year. I enjoy giving back. I enjoy, I'm just a volunteer there. My son was there. The, the head coach and I played summer baseball together when we were in college. So they recruited my son, and he said, hey, by the way, you know, if you want to come out whenever you can, work with the pitchers, feel free. So I decided to go out there one day, and on the way home, told my wife, I said, I really enjoyed it, but for my word to mean anything, I'm going to have to be here. 
So it's been every day for the last four years. So, <laughs> But I enjoy it, and it's uh, fun to see the kids either get drafted or, or move on to where they want to go. Outstanding. Ladies and gentlemen, former Cardinals player Woody Williams. Thank you. Back in our Bush Stadium studios, hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. That's one of the best parts of the job is when stuff like that comes across my desk, I get to listen to it all the way through before we throw it into the episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love history. I love the Cardinals, and if you're anything like me, I bet you enjoyed that as well. Thanks to Brian. Thanks to Woody Williams. Again, Flashback Friday at the Cardinals Museum. They do it every Friday home game over across the street in Ballpark Village. You can check out the full lineup of alumni slated to come through this season. Head on over to cardinals.com slash museum. You can check us out at cardinals.com slash podcast or anywhere that you get your podcast. We're also uh, available with our TV show by the same name, Cardinals Insider. It's cardinal or cardinals.com, yes, slash insider, or youtube.com slash cardinals check out full episodes and also individual stories of the television show. Recently, I've been hearing from quite a few of you via email. I really appreciate that. I read every one, try to get back to you in as timely a fashion as possible. You can reach me, podcast with an S, at cardinals.com. Thanks so much again to Brian Finch, to Woody Williams. My name's Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next week in time for the drive home every Tuesday here on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.